This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today we turn to the topic of homelessness in Washington state. Poll after poll shows homelessness is a top issue in the state. But not in Seattle or Spokane. In one of the state's smaller communities that doesn't get much attention around homelessness or solutions to it, Yakima. Just as in other larger urban areas, the Yakima region has also seen significant numbers of people experiencing chronic homelessness and housing instability in recent years. So Crosscut Central in Eastern Washington reporter Mai Huang dug into one solution that service providers are doubling down on right now, permanent supportive housing. It's a longer-term alternative to emergency shelters for the unhoused, with services included, such as case management and a connection to various forms of health care. Data shows it works, but challenges remain, not the least being finding the funding to sustain it. So Mai, I recently talked with our colleague Josh Cohen, city reporter Josh Cohen, about the upcoming election in Seattle. And based on his reporting, homelessness is and remains the top issue for voters in Seattle, beating out everything else by a lot. And it's true that homelessness is a really huge challenge in the Seattle area and, you know, frankly, up and down the West Coast for sure. But, you know, when it comes to national reporting and even regional reporting, a lot of the focus when it comes to homelessness, the coverage of homelessness is really on these sort of larger metro areas. Um, but uh, you are Crosscut's Central Washington reporter and you're based in Yakima. So I was curious if you could tell me from your perspective and your coverage, how pressing is the issue of homelessness in Yakima and Yakima County right now? So I think if you're looking at the general public, homelessness is not a pressing issue, honestly. I feel like the general public actually ends up talking more about homelessness in, like, Seattle or Portland. I say that with a big caveat, though. If you encounter people experiencing homelessness, I feel it's a lot different. So if you're in the provider space, so you work in a nonprofit that works with unhoused residents... Or on the other side, you're a business owner in downtown Yakima that has had to deal with people sleeping at your business or loitering around your business. It's very top of mind. Hundreds of people are living without homes in Yakima, despite concerted efforts to get people off the streets. And in terms of the data, as far as as people are collecting and tracking numbers, what kind of data is the city of Yakima and Yakima County seeing right now? Yeah, so the main thing that a lot of communities, in uh, not just Yakima, but across the state and, and the country, really, um, is something called point-in-time. Across Washington, today counties participating in the point-in-time count will collect data. And basically how that works is once a year, you go out and you go count the number of unhoused residents. So that's done in a number of ways. That's done through personal interviews with people that are unhoused and or surveys at like shelters and so that's that's a key data point however it's very imperfect namely because number one um, you have to consent to be counted Mm -hmm. and because it's a count done over one night or over surveys you easily 
miss a bunch of people just because they're not visible when you're out there. So, you know, if you look strictly at the counts, like, it looks like a straight line almost because Yakima County's never fluctuated between, I mean, there's some outliers, but generally they're looking at six to 700 individuals that they count, you know, as unhoused. Um, but that in itself kind of does show a problem. And like, if you look deeper into data, there are some concerning trends. So for example, if you look at kind of the subsectors of homelessness, so for example, chronically homeless, so that's defined as anyone that's been homeless for at least 12 months, or they've had several stints over a three-year period that equals 12 months, that number is notably high. It's about a third. And if you look at unsheltered households, so households that are not sheltered or in shelters or living outside, in cars, in abandoned buildings, the percentage of those households that are chronically homeless is 73%. So a very significant percentage. Um, And those are the numbers that providers and county officials are looking at when they voice concern over the issue. Mm -hmm. And I think another uh, statistic I would like to point out is that the State Department of Commerce has started keeping kind of account of its own. It's called the Snapshot of Homelessness. And how they compile that data is they actually use multiple state databases of people that seek other services so like medicaid or food assistance so it's it's people that are getting help because they're low income or they have other you know other challenges and one of the questions they're often asked is well what's your housing status so are you are you living in a home are you do you have a home you know so using that the answer to that question and kind of taking all this, all these different databases together, you can kind of get a count of residents that are either housing instable or experiencing homelessness. And that number for Yakima County specifically is much higher. Mm. It's in the 9,000 range. Um, if you include people that are housing unstable, it's closer to, you know, 11,000. <laughs> so it's a much higher number. And again, that, that number could include a person that couldn't pay rent one month or something like that. Or it could include people that were, are at risk of being homeless and are getting assistance. And the snapshot number, I think, shows less of a straight line. There is more of an increase year over year. So I think there are indicators, if you look at different points of data, that there is a growing issue of homelessness in Yakima County and that it's becoming more visible. Mm-hmm. Wow. So within this vast sort of complex ecosystem, um, there are many reasons why people experience homelessness or housing instability. There are a lot of different solutions. You kind of zeroed in recently on one solution, and that is an idea called permanent supportive housing. So I was wondering if you could just kind of define that really quick. Um, What is permanent supportive housing in this context? Yeah, so it's permanent housing. So there's no limit to how long you can live in that housing. And it's wrapped around services and case management. So a lot of permanent supportive housing developments will have a case manager who will do everything from, hey, um, do you need a ride to the grocery store? Or 
you know, are you doing okay? Like just checking in um, or uh, you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I just wanted to remind you. So also like simple as like helping them, you know, make sure that they get the money they qualify for, like social security, you know, um, it's a complicated process. You have to fill out a form. You have to know where to go fill out that form. So, you know, and frankly for the housing provider, or the organization that's running the permit supportive housing, they want that person to get that income because then that's money they can contribute to paying for their housing. So most housing developments, if, if you make no income, obviously you don't pay anything. But if you make, you know, the aim is like 30% of your income, you know, that that's kind of your rent, so to speak. So and so, yeah, so you have case managers and then those case managers also connect you to services. So it's generally voluntary. So you're not forced to do these services, but uh, when you're ready, like the case manager can connect you to like a doctor or treatment. And so, yeah, so the idea is, is that you're not just thrown into a house. Uh, I think um, one of the county officials I talked to said it really well. It's, it's housing first, not housing only. So you're not mm-hmm. just throwing people into a house and say, hey, you're housed now. See you later. Like, this is a very intentional effort to help people move forward. The idea is, is if you give them the housing first, then they can work on and focus on other issues. And then you have a support system in the form of your case managers and other service providers to help you move forward on your substance addiction, on your mental health, on getting a job, you know. So, uh, so the idea is that that's why it's called permanent supportive housing. It's not just permanent housing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this is happening in Yakima right now. Tell me what's going on in Yakima right now. What what forms of permanent supportive housing exist? Yes, it's definitely happening now in Yakima. There's definitely a lot of interest um, from different organizations who want to bring more of this housing to the area. But I think it's important to say that it is not a new concept. The foundation for providing genuine support is housing. In Seattle, actually, the Downtown Emergency Service Center, DESC, they were one of the first organizations to really develop the housing first model. Their first permanent supportive housing unit actually um, opened in the early 90s. So they've been at it for a while. And they were cited in a HUD, so a U.S. Uh, housing Urban Development Study you know, as a case study to say, here's how you house homeless people with mental health issues. So there are organizations like DSC that have been doing this for almost 30 years, basically. It's proven to be far and away the most effective tool for ending chronic homelessness. And then in Yakima County specifically, um, there are early adopters as well. So Yakima Neighborhood Health Services has been doing this for about a decade or a little over a decade. And they're actually a federally qualified health center. So not the first organization you'd think would get into this, but they kind of got into homeless services in the late 2000s. Um, They developed a healthcare for the homeless program and they started out doing respite care for homeless residents. And what was happening was administrators at Neighborhood Health were talking to their medical providers about, you know, how is it going? And, And I think it became really clear that they could do their jobs better and provide better health care if they helped these patients get housing. So they remodeled a former grocery store in East Yakima into permanent supportive housing. And they also work with private landlords. So they'll 
lease units from private landlords and then in turn offer those to residents. So they have roughly 150 apartments and other, you know, permits to private housing units in, in Yakima. Wow. And for this reporting, you spoke with some people who have some of those units, right? Yeah. So um, neighborhood. So I mentioned Neighborhood Health. And so one of their newest developments is called Neighborhood Apartments. And it's actually a former Yakima motel that they purchased. So yes, I did interview a couple residents from the Neighborhood Apartments. And so um, one of them is a 59-year-old woman named Jacqueline. She had been bouncing from various situations. She'd been housing in stable or homeless for a decade. She you know, went from living in her car with her kids to being in shelters, or she'd live with family. And I think with Jacqueline, she had been living a pretty, I guess, she had not been homeless for a, some time. You know, she had moved to the Yakima Valley in the early 2000s. She was enrolled Yakima, so she secured a job at Legends Casino, which is a casino operated by the Yakima Nation um, on the reservation. And she had worked there for 10 years, you know, and just she started out in the gift shop, and then she was in food and service and helped in events and really enjoyed working. And what happened was was that she started having health problems, and she couldn't work fully and eventually lost her job lost her apartment. So, so yeah, so Jacqueline finally was able to secure um, one of these apartments. She moved in um, in March. So uh, she has not been there very long. But, but yeah, but that's, um, yeah, but hopefully it's a first step to kind of rebuilding um, her life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and this kind of housing really helps for someone like Jacqueline, I guess, partly just to create some stability, maybe while she can figure out how to take care of her physical health. Yes, definitely. Um, she told me she feels caught up on her medical appointments that, you know, she in the past would forget about them or be behind or have to postpone her medical appointments. And now she, you know, has medical appointments and she's not missing them. And, you know, she a couple of weeks ago did some blood work to diagnose, possibly diagnose some some of those issues. So, um, yeah, for sure, she's able to focus on health. And I think for her, yeah, she talked a lot about that, that, you know, she wants to be strong for her family and she wants to, to be a better version of herself, like physically and mentally. So Great. And so this, this option is like, if you don't have income, you are able to live uh, rent-free basically for however long it takes. And then if you do have income, you pay a third of your income. That's typically the process. Yeah. And the hope is that eventually you'll be able to just live in regular housing. Uh, I mean, market rate housing is very expensive, so it's probably not realistic for pretty much all these residents to, to end up in market rate housing, but at least they can end up in permanent housing or permanent subsidized housing. So just at least go to that next step where they're housed, you know, and taken care of, and they're not, you know, they're not in the system. So I think one of, one of the big selling points of permanent supported housing that it is cost effective. Because yes, there is kind of an upfront cost, you know, because you are considerably subsidizing their housing, and you're also covering the cost of like services and a case manager. But the idea is, is that as they stabilize and they exit into 
other permanent, likely subsidized housing. They're not using up emergency homelessness dollars. So be, by being in shelters or, you know, or or if they're dealing with substance, you know, dollars like the you know emergency services tied to like substance addiction or mental health. So, yes, you're there's an upfront cost. But um, but there's a lot of studies that show that it's very cost effective you know, kind of in the long term and, and because you're, you're realizing savings on short term solutions that they might be using instead if they had not had this housing. Mm-hmm. What challenges remain, however, I mean, to, to make this idea a, a reality in terms of really expanding it or making it work in, in the long run? So, yeah. So why can't we just build a bunch of permanent supportive housing units and, and be done with it? Well, here's the catch is it is the financial side of it. So um, I mentioned that you do have to put an upfront investment and it's not easy <laughs> to do that. So so the permanent supportive housing thing, there's two aspects of it. So there is the capital side. So that's building or it might be rehabbing a unit like the neighborhood apartment. So it's rehabbing an existing property. So it's not necessarily new construction, but it could be any sort of construction rehab related thing. And even if you're like neighborhood health and you secure a bunch of housing units from like private landlords, you're still having to deal with the other side of the class equation, which is operations. And because you're dealing with, you know, people that don't make a lot of money, like usually zero to 30% of area median income, you're not going to be able to finance this with like traditional financing. Mm-hmm. So usually what you're having to do is to seek out public money. So state funding, federal like HUD money. And the state is trying to do its part to help with this. Um, the state has has also seen the value of permanent supportive housing. So they are, you know, initiating programs that does provide funds for providers to build more of these units. However, it's a very competitive process. And if you're a housing provider or service provider is trying to work on this development, you are competing with lots of other providers and lots of other communities that are trying to do the same thing you are. So if you don't get that grant, which might be a crucial part of your funding mechanism for the capital side, you have to wait a year because it's a once a year process. Oh, wow. You spoke with a lot of people for this story, you know, people accessing permanent supportive housing, people providing this kind of housing, advocates, policymakers. Do you get the sense that people working on this feel hopeful? right now? I don't know if hopeful is like the right word necessarily, but I mean, maybe it is. Like, I do feel like I have had people tell me straight up they think they can address this and that this is uh, this is still this is still fixable, that this is not an overwhelming problem that they can't address. Um, So I think in general, I think most people in Yakima County that are working on this, so be it city council, county commissioners, providers. I mean, I think there's a general sense, like, if we take action on it immediately, um, you know, and, and, and take initiative on this, yes, like, we can, you know, address this issue here. And I think there is also an acknowledgement that maybe 
you can't eliminate it entirely. I think some providers have told me like, it's just the nature of things. Like there are probably gonna be people that will be homeless at any given time. Like it's not gonna come down to zero. But um, Rhonda Hoff, the CEO of Neighborhood Health said it this way to me was, she wants fewer people coming into homelessness than coming out. So the idea is, you know, more people exit homelessness and then there's fewer people coming in. And then if you can kind of work on the preventative side by addressing affordability, you know, putting in more just housing in general, you have fewer people coming into homelessness. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Mai Huang and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docu-series we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.